Hi, I'm Jennifer Cord, a lifter out of the ice chamber, and you're listening to Ballistic Strength Radio. This is the special championship competition episode of Ballistic Strength Radio. On this episode, I'll be bringing you exclusive interviews from some of Canada's top GS lifters, as well as fill you in on the results of the CKA Canadian Nationals Championship competition held this past Saturday at the Foundry in Edmonton, Alberta. In this episode, you'll hear from the Canadian men's professional lifter Charlie Fernelli, women's pro lifters and kettlebell besties Renee Martinuk of Canada and Jen Cord from the U.S., as well as Canadian amateur lifter Gene Whitney. And we reunite with Steve Kwong to get some updates from his team. Results for the competition can be found on and downloaded from the CKA Facebook page and is viewable in the Dropbox app. Before we get into the interviews, for those of you who couldn't make the trip, here is an excerpt from the award ceremony to give you an idea of what went down. We're not done yet. We got one more award. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you for, to all of you guys for coming out. This is the first Canadian National, and it has been tremendously successful on so many levels. First level standard of lifting. Um, by the way, my name is Steve, I'm from the ice cream. <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen a lot of lifting over the years, and what um, the Canadians, all of you guys have done today, certainly has raised the bar like way up, way, way up, okay? Um, so I want to thank all of you guys for participating and making this happen. Secondly, we wouldn't have this, none of this would be, even be possible without the cooperation of the uh, directors of the CKA, which is Misty, Linda, and Renee. Linda? <laughs> so, all of you have from Ice Chamber, as well as the AKA, the American Ladies, we want to present the hosting facility, which is the Boundary Athletic Training Center, with an award of recognition. This as an award of recognition presented to the Boundary Athletic Training Center for its efforts in promoting the highest standards of kettlebell sport in Canada. Ice Chamber Athletic Performance Training, Ice Chamber Kettlebell Team. And we're here right now at the Canadian Kettlebell Sport Nationals in Edmonton, Alberta at the uh, Foundry. And um, how many competitors did you bring today? Well, we brought up uh, Jen Cord, uh, Master of Sport International Class, and Sayaka Tora, who was the uh, 2008 uh, U.S. Judo Olympic team member. 
Um, and she just made her CMS in long cycle, about to go for snatch uh, shortly. Um, unfortunately, we were unable to bring more team members up here due to the USA Nationals happening uh, in about a little less than two weeks time. So it was a bit of a stretch to try to get everyone up here, but we definitely wanted to show uh, our Canadian friends some love. So we, we brought up the members that we could is this uh, impacting any any of the your competitors' training right now, or is this are you guys just kind of um, uh, feeding this into your your training schedule somehow? This was planned to feed into the training schedule. Um, this is a really uh, exciting event. It's a good it's a good uh, a good platform for them to. Well, how often how often do you guys do like actual competition sets in, in training ever? Depending on how close we are to a competition, if we're three months out, we usually do at least one set a week, competition sets. So this is a good, a good opportunity to test out the competition potential. Yeah, it's really important to get on stage in front of a crowd. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing that can substitute the experience of being on the platform and, and competing with other people that you're not aware of. Um, and also, you know, making weight, traveling, all these things are really, really, really critical. You can do, you know, a million test sets at home and it wouldn't, it wouldn't compare to one true competition set. So coming into today, what were some of the biggest factors, you know, just waking up today and, and getting ready to come over here, what were some of the key factors today to make sure that your competitors competed at, uh, at their max potential? Um, you know, regulatory stuff, making sure that, you know, um, the hydration is there, making sure that we get enough sleep, making sure that uh, the food and the nutrition is right, and obviously um, scoping out the environment, making, um, making sure that there's enough space to warm up and get the mobility piece moving. Um, and the rest of it is just, you know, mental, you know, staying psychologically focused and knowing that you've, you've done all the prep work that you, you can uh, for, for this particular event. Now you guys are from the West Coast and the climate's a bit different. How have you guys been uh, handling this climate here in Edmonton, Alberta? So I've been told that the air is a little bit thinner here. We are at a little bit of altitude, um, but you know, it is what it is. We, we train for all scenarios, you know, rain, sun, Avalanche, hurricane, whatever it may be, you know, tsunami, tsunami, right? Flooding, whatever it may be. You, you, that, that's that's the life of a competitor. You can't control certain external factors, but you can control your mindset and 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 what you're going to do. Any big technique developments in any of your lifters? Um, in terms of technique development, I think they're all uh, they're all they're following the legacy. We we have. Um, uh, a good number of senior lifters that are doing really well on the international circuit. So, you know, um, someone like Sayaka, she has a number of good role models to follow. So um, it's all about her sticking to the game plan and knowing that the prep work is, you know, is, is done and she just has to show up now. Who are you guys taking to Worlds in Dublin? Um, Melissa for sure. She's going to win. Um, Riley Reeves. For did you say she's going to win? Yeah. <laughs> she's going to win. Yeah. Uh, Riley Reeves for sure, uh, um, Miranda Roboloff for sure, um, Janet Mack, she will go as a, uh, as a veteran lifter, um, uh, either Sarah or Jessica, one of them will take the 58 class. Um, that should be it as far as our Dublin crew. Wish we can take more, but there's just, you know, you're only allowed one per category and that's all, all the categories covered.
emceeing right now? I'm trying. <laughs> Could you say your name and what gym you're from? Sure. Uh, my name is Renee Martinuk, and I am from The Foundry. And can you say you're listening to Ballistic Strength Radio? I am listening to Ballistic Strength Radio. How's your day been so far? Uh, it's been crazy busy, uh, trying to make sure everybody is taken care of and then make sure I have time and energy and focus for my own set. It's been very challenging. Has there been uh, anything particularly difficult today? Some little, you know, thing that you had to sort out today? <laughs> I, I feel like you know the answer. Um, I don't really know. Um, I, I think I feel like my set wasn't 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 good. I like I, I've trained way better. I've done way better in training. I'm really disappointed that it happened the way it did, but it just felt like I had been lifting far longer <laughs> than what I'd actually been. When they said one minute down, I'm like, what do you mean one minute down? Isn't it like three minutes down? So I think it's just sort of trying to stay on focus and stay on task has been the hardest part so far. Has that been a problem lately, just staying focused? Yes. Uh, in training, yes. And then trying to help put this event together and be an athlete and a competitor at the same time. Um, but I know it's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain, and that is to spread the word across the country that Kettlebell Sport is here to stay, and we are welcoming everyone to come and compete. What are you looking forward to most today? Uh, personal bests. I am looking forward to, like the, like the moment that just happened with one of our lifters, Fraz Kamal. He's 115 pounds and the guy's lifting 70 pounds over his head multiple times and got himself a personal best. That's, those are the moments that give you the goosebumps and those are the moments you look forward to at these competitions. Tell me about the music selection today. <laughs> I worked really hard to make sure it was all Canadian because we are at the Canadian Nationals, so it's really important that we have Canadian music here. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Don't bullshit me, you can tell me. You guys threw a little bit of American music in there, didn't okay, you? like maybe three songs, but it's because we've got American lifters and they like their certain songs and I can respect that. Okay, one more question. That's on everyone's mind. There's no Biebs on this playlist, is there? Oh, hell no. No Celine Dion, no Biebs, no Shania Twain. Only good stuff. Renee, always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Charlie, you're about to go up for a biathlon snatch? Yes. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm uh, not focusing on biathlon today, so I'm just going to go get a set in. Long cycle. What have you done to prepare? You're not giving away your secrets? No, there aren't any secrets. Just train, eat. Put the reps in, right? Yeah. Eat, sleep, repeat. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best of luck. So you just finished. Um, what lift were you performing? That was a 16 kilo snatch. Thoughts and feelings? Uh, you, you look like you have a nice glaze right now. A nice glaze going on, yeah, definitely glazed, um, dazed and glazed, um, it's all a part of the process. Were you in, did you, did you hit the reps you're looking to get? Uh, yeah, um, I was pretty sure that, you know, I wasn't going to beat any records except maybe my own, and which yeah. I did. Well, so that's, that's all that good. matters. Yeah. Well, like we always like to say, we want progress, not perfection, and if you're always progressing, then that's, you know, 
that's what we want, always moving forward, right? That's right. Um, are you, uh, so are you, are you competing as an amateur hoping to go to Dublin? I am, yes, yes, yes and no. Are you going to Dublin? Uh, well, you know, given the opportunity, I will be there. <laughs> oh, so we're still waiting on the on the, the yeah. okay from on high. The team has not been chosen yet. This given is true. the opportunity, I will go there. And uh, my the plan there is to compete in the veterans uh, category and with the 12 kilo bell. And you um, and you competed last year, right? I did. It was a blast. Yes, I, I remember the, I remember the interview well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is going to be like you're going to be like an old hand at this now. I tell ya. So what are you looking forward to about, you know, competing internationally again? More specifically, I guess, you know, across the pond, really. Because you competed, you know, across the border. I have. I've, I've competed in San Francisco and I've competed in Las Vegas. Um, but on the world stage, last year I didn't do uh, what I had set out to do in Worlds. And so I feel like I need to go redeem myself. It's payback. <laughs> that's, that's right. Are there going to be uh, Rocky montages in your in your future in your near future as you train for Dublin? <laughs> Rocky montages? Yeah. Are you gonna Are you gonna watch some Rocky Four? Oh, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Does he get over the mental game in Rocky Four? It's the one where he's sporting the the grizzly Adams beard and uh, he's he's working out old school like lifting um, the yoke and doing sit ups hanging upside down and and uh, running through the snow in Siberia. Uh, yeah, well, um, in Victoria, I'm not gonna be finding too much snow, so we'll knock that one off the list. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm old school Rocky, it's gotta be sides of beef. Um, are, you, uh, are you nursing any injuries right now? Are you uh, having to cope with any you know, personal life stuff right now? There's always something. An athlete is always nursing some kind of injury. You know, my arm is, off and on, my back is off and on, um, and breathing is always an issue. So, how do you overcome that when you're when you come to like a competition like this, or when you're looking to compete well on even the international stage? How do you, you know, how do you get around those things? Well, when we're preparing for a competition, um, I work really hard at not hurting myself. <laughs> So smart training, it's kind of important. <laughs> smart training is kind of important. Um, you know, I protect my hands on leading up to a competition, and then if I want to, if I manage to blow them out at a competition, so be it, don't care. Um, and the same with everything else. If I need to recover after a competition, then I'll do that. And how do you recover? Um, I'm on first name basis with my physiotherapist, my massage therapist, and a chiropractor. The trifecta. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jean. Uh, and, um, you know, wish you all the best of luck. Are you competing again today? Nope. Nope, that's it, just not. So, um, I guess the next time we'll probably see you compete will be Dublin? I hope so. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to it. All right, thanks, all right. Holly. Thanks, Jean. So, Jen, you're competing today at the Canadian Kettlebell Sport Nationals. You are known um, at, at, by many lifters as being somewhat of a cyborg. Oh, really? Is this true? No, I didn't know that. It's very, <laughs> it's very true. In fact, whenever you enter a room, you can, you can just, you can hear this music in the background. It's like, doo -doo 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 -doo. I wish I heard that music. That would be awesome.
walk into your room, I swear. Um, <laughs> Melissa's got the same thing going. You guys are both just Melissa like cyborgs. <laughs> but um, so today, are, are you you're lifting the 16? I'm just snatching the 16 today. Yeah. Okay. And this is, um, I mean, you guys have your own nationals coming up. Uh, when's that? It is in two weeks. Two okay. So is this know. is this strategic then? Dropping down to a 16 today? Well, there's been a lot going on for me lately, so I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to lift at Nationals, primarily because I've got a fresh right knee meniscus injury, um, and I'm recovering from stomach flu this week. Oh. Yeah. So, but, but yeah. you did. <laughs> and my sister just showed up. <laughs> radio interview. This isn't contagious, right? It's okay if I sit beside you. I don't know. As long as you don't lick my lips, you're fine. <laughs> that sounds like an invitation to me. Um, so, what do you think of the competition today? I'm actually very impressed, primarily with the junior lifters that we've seen today. Um, there's a family of girls whose name is last name is Ross. One of them are watching right now. I'm just really impressed with their technique, their tenacity their poise um, and then we saw another girl named Kendra 13 year old lifter do a great long cycle set with a 16 I think she hit 116 reps which is just really impressive for someone of her age so I'm really enthusiastic about their futures in the sport and that we actually will have a legacy to bring forward it's very true very exciting we do have a lot of skilled junior lifters it's really nice to see um, the next generation of lifters really making waves um, tell us about the junior lifters over in San Francisco. Well, I'm always impressed by them, and I have to admit, a little bit envious of girls who started as early as they are, because I think I started lifting when I was 38 years old. <laughs> may, people may not know this, but I'm like well into my 40s. I'm 45, and um, if I had started when I was 13, 14, 15, I think I would just be, well, probably dead by now maybe broken but um, but but you'd be unstoppable up until then yeah they are on their road on the road to being unstoppable and the best thing about being that young is just that they really don't understand any limits they don't know that maybe they shouldn't be able to do what they're doing which is actually very very inspiring um, and I think it's great that we can act as role models but also training partners I think um, it's a great team spirit that we have going so I'm really looking forward to Miranda and, R and Riley's future in the sport. It's been said that if you walk with the lame you develop a limp and, I, and I'm wow it's loud in here I'll, I'll repeat that it's been said before that if you walk with the lame you develop a limp and I'm much of the opinion that uh, a lot of the success that these juniors, um, uh, what these juniors can owe their success to is that they're surrounded by such skilled and dedicated role models such as, as yourselves in uh, San Francisco. Um, do you agree? I do. I definitely agree. I mean, I think they learn a lot from um, the attitude, too, just kind of the way that we approach training, trying to have fun but also not complaining. I mean, we're there because we love it, and I think that they're there because they love it, but they also don't really get much uh, slack from us if they do put up a fight or complain. <laughs> and it's, you know, I think that's helpful. Maybe to, also to their parents because, um, you know, they're in their tweendom, and uh, it's easy to... It's easy to complain and roll your eyes when you're that age, but they really don't do that. They've got a great attitude. All right, you have to be completely candid about this next question. Um, your opinion. 
we there's there's a PA system and an announcer and everything and and we've got and so we, we, throughout these sets we often have someone kind of commenting or commentating I guess during the sets fan or no fan um if if you're on the platform you know I can't say that I'm a fan or not a fan I do kind of like the support from the audience but you know I think you have to go into every competition prepared for anything um, you know, you're not going to have your favorite music on. Maybe the clock is going to fail. The counter might fail. You just have to go in with your plan, trust your training, and know that anything could happen. So I think expect the worst and hope for the best. Have you ever had a really obnoxious announcer? Yes, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, another juicy question. Um, Everyone should know how important it is to have a coach, and if you're a coach, even coaches need coaches, and and we always need, you know, someone to kind of keep us in line and keep us pushing forward and and make sure that we're doing everything right and blah 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 all that crap. Um, do you and your coach ever disagree on anything? You know, um, sometimes, <laughs> but I think I've actually given myself over to the process, and I I really appreciate having someone else tell me what to do. I I don't purport to know as much as Steve does, nor will I ever. So, uh, you know, he's got a grand plan. I don't always know what it is. So I just do what he tells me to do every day. And it takes a lot of pressure off of me, actually. So I can complain and whine about it if it's really hard. That's one thing. But I don't think I've ever disagreed with him or questioned his motive. When I saw you lift, I believe it was a 26 kg in Victoria. Yes. Um, was that long cycle? Yes. Yeah. Um, that was uh, one of the most intense sets I've ever seen. And from my perspective, it looked like there was a lot of deep, deep trust with you and your coach as you were, you know, getting those last reps out. Um, can you maybe give us a little insight into the training leading up to that set and what was going on in your head as you were performing those last few reps and, and what was going on in your head when you had, you know, Steve kind of giving you instruction as you're trying to get those last few reps out. Yeah, you know, I remember that set really well, probably better than a lot of sets that I've had in the past. Um, it was an important one to me, so it stands out a lot, and I've watched it before, watched it back on YouTube. Um, you know, he spends a lot, a lot, a lot of time with us, so he knows our lifting really well. I mean, he knows it down to, you know, the signs that we make that make that show fatigue, you know, the looks in our faces. So. He's very good at cueing each of us individually to what works best for us. Um, I think one thing I said earlier is that I, I've grown to really just push, you know, put the fate of my lifting in his hands, and that that's true too for the sets. Um, inside a set, I actually like him taking control. It make, takes a little bit of pressure off of me. If I can just look at him, listen to him, um, and just move my body the way it's supposed to go, I think that's kind of a perfect marriage in a side of set when you really do trust your coach. But I trust him with all my heart. And uh, there were a couple of times when I questioned what he told me during that set because I was like, I don't have that much time left. I got to get these last reps in. Really? You want me to rest right now? Okay. All right. And I did. And I think if you really watch the very last few reps of that set, you can see there's a couple of times when I like pause and I looked at him like, really? But I just did. What I he remember told. that. I did what he told me to do. And, you know, we got to the finish line in the nick of time. One thing I'll have to say, I've never said this publicly. Can I say this right now? So this, okay, so you're hearing it right here, right now, first on Ballistic Strength Radio. <laughs> My set was miscounted. I actually got 105 reps that day, but the official count was 104. 
because there was a moment when Steve told the DJ to turn the music up and everyone got distracted. And at that moment, my count was missed. It slipped through the cracks. It did, it slipped through the cracks. But it's on video. It is on video. You can count if you want to. There we go. So <laughs> it, go, go to, maybe we'll throw the YouTube link in the, in the description and uh, you guys can count for yourself. Are you busy? Am I busy? Are you busy? I'm gonna be busy in a minute. I gotta start warming up for my set. Oh shit! All right, um, all right. So you're going up for what are you going up for right now? Uh, I'm going up for 16 kilo snatch. I actually was. Um, I decided to enter as a veteran because I am one a. But that and, way, and we salute you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'll be lifting next to Misty and Linda, which will be exciting. I don't think I've actually lifted head to head against Misty since probably 2012 or maybe 20 my time. <laughs> 2012 was my very first uh, it might competition. have even been 2011 but it, it was the day that we each got our master sport in 24 long cycle under the WKC so this will be the first time since then so that would have been in Chicago Chicago yeah Chicago I think there's someone else doing a Chicago one now capitalizing on um, oh really yeah, maybe, since, you know, all that stuff. Um, okay, well, wish you all the best of luck. Thank you. Keep so your head on straight. I try. And, I'm going to um, go cyborg it. Yes, go cyborg. <laughs> and may, may we'll be able to find that Terminator music on the laptop up there. I'll get him to play it. <laughs> Give me something slow. You guys, you guys can walk beat, out to you it. Know? I just need something slow and rhythmic. All right. Well, Thank good luck. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Results from the competition include notable performances from the men's professional group, with Charlie Fernelli achieving 153 points in biathlon and 56 reps in long cycle, with Slava Petlitsa not far behind with 47 long cycle reps. The women's professional category included Catherine Golbeck, who took first in snatch with 94 reps, and Renee Martinuk with 72 reps. Saya Katora from the Ice Chamber earned her CMS in both long cycle and snatch, and Rachel Robertson had an impressive 20kg long cycle debut with a very solid and impressive 87 reps. Team Iron Bell from Victoria, BC put up impressive numbers in the snatch, notably the Ross family who had an average score of 133 reps, and Jed Nagy from the Foundry came away with an impressive 82 reps in the 24kg long cycle, achieving rank 1. Memorable performances include 53-kilogram weight division Fraz Kamal scoring 68 reps in the 16-kg long cycle, and David Van Dusen scoring 204 points in the 16-kg biathlon, only then to step back on the platform for 100 reps of 24-kg snatch. Awards for overall standings are as follows. Men's Pro Lifter Overall Charlie Fornelli, women's pro lifter overall, Catherine Golbeck, 
Men's junior overall, Ali Jacques. Women's junior overall, Kasia Ross. Women's veteran, Kim Kelly. Men's overall biathlon, David Van Dusen. Men's overall long cycle, Fraz Kamal. Men's overall snatch, Ben Falkenberg. Women's overall biathlon, Sarah Duckmanton. Women's overall snatch, Jessica Marchand. And women's overall long cycle, Sayaka Tora. Of course, it's not truly a Canadian event without some good-natured humor. Following the overalls, Misty presented Renee with the first annual Montgomery Burns Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Area of Excellence. But unbeknownst to Misty or Renee, Team Foundry had their own plans to present some trophies, awarding Misty the title of Devil Coach and Renee the title of Constable Coach. Overall, it was a fantastic event, followed by a great kettlebell sport clinic the following morning at a lazy 10 a.m. to cap everything off. Styles and secrets were shared by the likes of Jen Cord from the Ice Chamber, Charlie Fernelli from the Okanagan, and I even scored some difficult-to-extrapolate Russian-to-English-translated training material from Misty to help me with my double bell work. I hope you've enjoyed my recap of the CKA Nationals, but keep listening to hear a previously recorded interview I had with Charlie Fornelli, where we discuss making the jump from 24kg to 32kg, and the top three accessory exercises for kettlebell sport. Hello? How's it going, buddy? Good, how you doing? I'm good. I realized that I uh, probably should have uh, just uh, messaged you <laughs> and uh, asked if you were... Uh, that was decent you know. or something? Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> well, fortunately, I was. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Solomon. Well, it's good to have you here. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about how what it was like for you to make the jump from uh the 24s to the 32s what give us some insight into that that process yeah so i mean i gotta be honest with you it was not a very enjoyable process early on and i really had to i mean i had to make some changes terms of expectations from session to session but also I think I really one of the biggest things for me was just having to accept that 24 to 32 is a mean and it is a hard jump to make um I feel like in all truth the first stretch when I first started working the 32s in and that was when I was um even actually mostly competing with the 28s because that was the old uh back when the wkc and before the aka uh had the the in-between ranks right like before they added the 28 in with the aka but so you know lifting the 28 but i was using the 32 for you know along in the training and i mean personally i just don't think it was like i don't think it was making me a better lifter. I don't think it was making me healthier. Um, it certainly wasn't making me a better athlete. They were just too heavy for where I was at technically at that time. So, uh, one of the things I had to do was just really kind of put them away, 
and uh, focus on the 32s, or sorry, the 28s. And because uh, I had a relative amount of, you know, early success for myself with the 28s. Um, the first time I ever did a 10-minute set, I was able to do 80-plus reps. Um, and that was basically just based almost entirely on my 24 training and where I was at there. And this was the jerks? This was jerks, yeah, sorry. So in jerks, but I tell you, going up to 32s, I mean, they just, they did not feel good at all. Like I was, I was slow, it was killing my back and it was just not good. So I really just put the 32s away and really worked hard with the 28s and the 24s to the point that the 28s felt, you know, fast, felt explosive. Um, you know, I was confident 10 reps a minute kind of thing, making it a more, uh, you know, like a cyclical movement as opposed to, you know, one rep done, you know, seven times in a minute. It was something that I was in a rhythm. I was moving, I was getting into position, that kind of thing. For, um, for, for someone who is looking at making a transition to a heavier bell, Yep. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do a light day. I'm going to do a heavy day. On my light day, I'm going to work my speed. On my heavy day, I'm I'm going to you know play around with those those heavy bells and, and get the feel for them. Where do you think the divide is? Do you think they should be spending like 70% of their time on speed and just filling in the rest of that 30% with the next bell? Or is it more like 50-50? What's your experience? Um, I think, I guess, I guess it all depends on... I mean, in part, it depends on the individual. I mean, there are guys out there that will that will grind eight reps a minute, and it's like they'll grind eight reps a minute with the 20, and then they'll grind eight reps a minute with the 24, and then they'll do it with the 28, and then they'll, you know, with the 32, usually that's where the rubber hits the road or meets the road, um, and, that, and we tend to lose pace there. But um, some guys are more grinders, and you know, pace just isn't their thing. Speed isn't their thing. So I think those guys, you know, maybe need to work, you know, a little bit more even as long as they have the, the, you know, the positioning and the, the technique side of it down where they're moving properly under a heavy weight. You know, I think the problem is, is, you know, I could do the reps in training, you know, for short sets with 32s, but it wasn't, they weren't, good they weren't reps that i could then use under the 24s they weren't reps that i could then use under the 28s they were the reps that i just had to do to get the 32s overhead mm -hmm. so i didn't find that carryover but i think you know me personally i do a lot of uh speed work um i do a lot of sets at above competition pace um moderate length um, or, well, I shouldn't even say that, you know, short to moderate length, like um, two to three eight, minutes. Yeah. Like two to three minutes. Uh, I might get into some four minute sets, um, relatively short rest, but not super short or, you know, about usually stick to about two minutes, um, and really work that. And, but there it's, it's all about, um, it's all about getting into position fast. So it's not even so much about, you know, whether it's eight a minute or 10 a minute or 14 a minute, depending on the bell weight, it's all about getting into position quickly. So, you know, each rep 
is really poppy, really snappy, and it resets quick. It's not uh, this like where I'm bouncing around because I know I got time to sit around in the rack. You know, I'm reset in the proper position quick. And then once I'm ready to do the next rep, I'm ready to do new, to do the next rep. Um, that's that's what I've found and had a, had a lot of uh, positive uh, progress with. Um, and I feel better. Right, right. Well, I think if you're if you're hitting those positions, like I tell my my students, you know, um, I try not to get too technical, and I'm like, okay, this movement has two positions. This is the first one, and this is the second one. I want to see both. Whatever happens in between, I'm not too concerned about. You'll you'll get there in whatever way that you get there. Styles can differ, but these two things have to have to remain. You know, your rack needs to look like this. And your overhead positions n- position needs to look something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when that point comes around where it's like you're not hitting those positions, yeah. Um, I mean, what's what's going through your head? And and uh, and I mean, is this like is it like panic mode or or what starts to happen? Well, I guess I think that depends. Am I in the you know am I in the middle of a competition set? Yeah, it's a little panicky, you know, it takes a bit more and then you kind of have to stay, you know, you, you toss tempos out of the window and you just kind of get reset, get yourself back into position as, as best as you can. Um, but, you know, I, I just feel like if you if you really groove it in there so that it's a reset, um, every rep, it's, you know, it's positioning. And, and, and that's where I guess when I looked at you know, moving away from just constantly pushing those six, seven minute sets. Cause it was like, I would, I would get into a training session and it would be the first set that was supposed to be, you know, six minutes on the 32 and I would be three minutes in and it would be going like garbage and then go, well, I could do three more minutes of this, but it's probably not going to do me any good. And when I follow up with that second set, which is, you know, maybe three, four minutes at a lighter weight, it's probably just going to carry over to that. And basically, I'm just going to be putting the bells overhead because that's what I have written down in my program, but really not, I don't think personally benefiting from it technically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like, you know, it's, it just comes back to in training, I think in training, you you have to be as precise as possible. In competition, you're going to do what you're going to do and you're going to get the job done. And the longer that you can keep that precision, the better off you'll be. But in training, you really have to just groove that precise motion as best as possible. I, I think that's the big difference between, you know, those who can hit those big numbers consistently and and those who have that one moment of greatness uh, but you know can't seem to do that on as a consistent basis they don't have those technical aspects uh you know they're not working on them with as much diligence as perhaps that they should yeah absolutely and i think that's where i think so i've been kind of focusing on jerks because you know physically i think obviously double 32s is more physically demanding than is single 32 snatch. But problem is I've actually had probably better progress to an extent with the the double jerks, which I always hated 
than I did with snatches, which I always loved, you know, um, because, because it's, you know, for me, it's never been conditioning with snatches. It's not fatigue. It's not, you know, it's not quote unquote gassing out. It's none of that. It's grip, you know, it's forearm. It's, I just can't hold the bell. Right. So it's this really isolated position, you know, this isolated spot that, you know, isn't because my heart isn't moving enough blood around or I'm not taking deep enough breath, you know, it's, it's other things. And that's where, yeah, like you, if you, if you, if every set you might last, you know, three minutes to four and a half minutes where you can get precision, well, you know that you, your consistency is not there. Whereas if every time you can step on that, on the platform or step into a training set, and you know that you're going to be strong through four, four and a half, five minutes, the brain, you know, we can, we can survive 30 seconds, but if you're trying to survive with a heavy kettlebell for a minute, minute and a half, and that's where, you know, myself and, you know, I think where we are at in large in North America, be it men or women with the 24 and the 32 is there's a lot of us, myself, absolutely included who seven minutes, I'm golden, you know, but, uh, it's those money minutes that, that eight and a half to, to 10 minutes. That's the, those are the minutes that I'm still really trying to find consistently. Charlie, can you give us the top three accessory movements that you think have the, we'll say have the most carryover into uh, kettlebell competition, whether it's, um, you know, o- o- over all events, you know, snatch, jerk, long cycle, whatever. Okay. Um, well, I guess for me, I'm, I'm not a huge accessory guy. So, you know, I could say, I could say bumps for jerks. I could say, you know, things like that glove snatch and all this stuff. But I think personally, um, when I look at it, my, my, my big ones are, you know, swing snatches, I think work, uh, really well, um, in, you know, it, for me personally, it's getting that confidence to be able to hold on to the bell, you know, with a 32 to be able to, to be under it for, and putting it overhead for 10 minutes, you know, even, even at a time when I was struggling to stay under it for eight minutes, right. Right. Uh, just a straight snatch set. So it's been a good way to to work on. And some of the things that I've been doing a little bit more now is as I, so I might do the first four minutes in some variety of swing snatch. And then I would try to keep that fifth minute. It would be a straight snatch set because, you know, one of the things for me is, you know, when you get that swing, it allows you to regrip which, you know, depending on where you're competing, you may not be able to do, or you might be picking up no counts kind of thing. So it's not always an option to do that swing in between your reps. So I try to get that feeling of, okay, you know, things, you know, my hand is worn out, but now it's, can I still hold it and not worried about pace, just finishing a strong last minute. And that's been a big in terms of building confidence and just feeling better under the 32 for snatches. 
Um, you know, I, I typically hadn't trained long cycle a lot, but one thing that has really been good for me, um, is just double bell cleans. Um, so I never used to do that when I trained long cycle it was always long cycle. And, uh, one of the things that go, would always get me there is it just, it tended to really stress me out because, you know, well, long cycle, long cycle 32s, even though you're not going, you know, the same pace as you do when you're doing short, you know, just straight jerks, mm -hmm. you're still having to put the bells overhead. And so the thing for my, like my issue was I just wasn't getting enough cleans. I didn't have the confidence in my hands, you know, knowing that I could clean the bells 60, 70 times because, you know, I was only maybe doing a three minute set. Well, that's only 21, you know, that might only be 18 to 21 reps, which is only 18 to 21 cleans, right? So one of the big things for me was adding in some double bell clean sets. And uh, I've been able to base, you know, pretty confidently base my long cycle sets almost just off of that alone and mm -hmm. say, well, you know, I just hit a solid number with cleans and felt strong through to the end. And then I don't even necessarily do a huge amount of straight long cycle jerk. Um, I might just do, I'm, I might only get a couple of clean sets, but feel confident going in um, to hit, you know, a goal number kind of thing. Yeah, it's, that's interesting. I, I was doing a little bit of uh, kettlebell training research a little while back, and I can't remember where from where I read it, but, um, one of these, uh, you know, uh, very successful Russian lifters was saying, you know, um, we never practice long cycle. We practice our cleans and we practice our jerks. Yeah. Cause yeah, the long cycle is just, you put them both together. And if you're competent with the individual movements, um, yeah. I mean, you know, logic would dictate that. Yeah. You should be, you know, in good shape. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you just have to watch, you just have to watch most long cycle lifters, um, you know, for double bell and it more often than not, it's, it's not the jerk that's limiting them, right? It's the, it's the clean that, that gets wild. We start getting bad catches and that's why we put the bells down. I mean, that's why guys were putting the bells down in, uh, in Germany. Like I, uh, there were tons of guys who were, who were, who had early stops because they just couldn't, you know, keep clean. So, um, yeah, that, and, and it's just made a big difference cause it's not, uh, it's not been as it's, it's just a little bit less, you know, extra workload and it allows me to kind of focus a little bit more on the clean or sorry, just straight jerks, which I still have a goal that I want. So it's not over, uh, I'm not just doing too much overhead work. Uh, just to get the extra clean stuff in or the extra long cycle. And I should say, mm -hmm. and I mean, I was going to say, uh, you know, recently, uh, you know, in Vancouver, you know, Dennis Vasiliev, he was talking about how he does a lot of uh, just one arm cleans where he'll do like 20 plus reps a minute for up to, you know, five minutes each hand and building up to, a hundred cleans each hand or a hundred, hundred plus cleans each hand. And will, will um, he use an ultra heavy weight or will he just use the competition no, like, weight? Typically that he would do that with like the 32. I mean, I'm sure he does it heavier because 
you know, he, he does do some training sets with the forties and that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, he was just talking how like leading up to euros last year and uh, worlds last year, I think it was as well that he was trying to work up to, uh, it was either 90, 90 or a hundred, a hundred, but you know, at like 22 reps a minute, one arm cleans. Um, so, but, and like confidence, cause then he, like he knew he had those reps in his hands when it was come time for set. So, um, you know, and I thought that was interesting because again, then you're getting back to, yeah, you're getting a lot of work. You're getting a lot of cleans in that one hand, but you're not overloading the system with, you know, two 70 pound kettlebells. Uh, you know, it's, it's some of those kinds of things that I think, um, can be beneficial. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a good point. There may be, may even be some uh, bilateral deficit stuff happening there. Like with, uh, uh, I mean with primarily, uh, low body exercises, you look at someone's squat and you look at someone's barbell lunge or, or unilateral, uh, barbell leg work. It doesn't have to be barbell, but regardless yeah. that, uh, they'll typically be stronger unilaterally than they are bilaterally. So if someone yeah. can squat 300 pounds, they might be able to lunge 175. Yeah, yeah. So it it it'd be interesting. Yeah, if if maybe there is some of that bilateral deficit, maybe you can be stronger doing the single arm clean, and therefore your recovery is going to be better. Your uh your workout volume is going to be better from workout to workout, and uh, and how that will carry over into your competition stuff. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of variables in there that we're, uh, that we're all trying to kind of play around with. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. So swing snatch you do for the snap. I, I personally am a big fan of swing snatch. I think swings in general, a, a, a lot of students, uh, I think maybe try to, uh, you know, rush past the swings a little bit They say, well, I, well, I know the snatch. Yeah. Why don't I just train snatch? But again, we always have to come back to, well, the swing is the foundation. And I don't think that a lot of people realize, you know, if you do a minute of straight swings, just how taxing that is, because rep for rep, you're going to get in more swings than you are snatches. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's, it's really intense. I, rem- I remember the first time that I started doing, you know, a minute per hand of, of swinging uh, the 24. I'm like, man, this is hard work. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. So, okay, swing snatch for snatch, uh, twin kettlebell cleans um, for like long cycle. Is 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 there is there anything else in particular? Well, um, you know, I I for as far as that third one, I guess to be honest, like myself personally, I uh, I would say if I was going to pick that assistance. Um, it would be maybe just the way that I treat myself personally, my running. Um, and I think I've talked, I think I talked in the last one where we were chatting, but, um, I find I get a lot of benefit from uh, a little bit of higher tempo runs with a little bit more focus on, uh, really hip extending, hip extension, dominant kind of running gait. So where I'm trying to push my pace and I'm trying to really focus on extending off of that back leg and uh, finding the stretch of the hip flexor on every rep, 
Are you inti- uh, are you intentionally um, contracting through the glute to drive that hip extension? I I, I won't be the the entire time, but I will be to sort of set that and to reset. So you know, in the middle of whatever, if it's a twenty five minute run or a thirty minute run, you know, maybe after the first five minutes, and I'm you know off in la la land and i i'll kind of reset and think about get back into that again focus on it for you know you know a minute or whatever and then i kind of just let things go fluid again let things happen um i would say probably for myself that would be um that would probably be number three only because i guess i'm kind of lame and i don't do a lot of is i don't do a variety of assistance um i do some glove snatch but I don't know if I think that that's, I, I like it, but mainly I like it because it allows me to do reps and not wear my hands. But I would say truly it's more to do with that. Uh, I like the, that run where I'm really focusing on it because personally it, it helps me think about what I'm also thinking about when I'm doing my, when I'm in the rack, it's finding that, that, uh, that hip flexion stretch, which tells me, that I'm ex- I'm pushing the hips in front instead of trying to reach you know my hips up and flexing my low back and it just gets me a little bit more ingrained in that position. Plus, it's good conditioning, obviously. Oh, totally, totally. I I I feel the same way, um, and I definitely feel like when I'm not getting in as many runs per week, that my uh, kettlebell sets do start um, to suffer. Uh, and I think even in um, uh, Terry Sanchez's uh, uh, document, the Gear Voice Sport and Athlete Preparation document yeah. that he has available, uh, he's got a few interviews at the end of it, um, and he mentions uh, running. Uh, I, I believe the question is, I understand running is also very important for GS. And if I can just find it here. Um, and so the answer, who is he talking to here? He's talking to... Vasily Ginko, secretary, oh, yeah, yeah. secretary and chief instructor of the uh, IUKL, and he said that run, running for kettlebell lifters is necessary to, for development of the general aerobic qualities of the organism. Well, that just you know that kind of makes sense, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, at an average and slow rate for a long time, from thirty to ninety minutes, um, or short intervals, sometimes ten to fifteen minutes. Yeah. Uh, and so, and he says it allows to support high speed functions of an organism. And why does he say organism? <laughs> and interrupts monotony of training. That's a yeah, good point. Yeah. That's a really good yeah. point, actually. Because there are some days where you just need to not pick anything up, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that can, that can really wear on you is always picking up heavy stuff all the time for all your, your fitness stuff. Um, yeah. So, so I, was, sorry, I was just going to add to that. Uh, so, uh, cause you were mentioned about the runs and not getting them in and training sets. And one of the things that, you know, has always been also been positive for me in adding some extra runs. Um, you know, I, I might, like I say, I try to get out two or three times a week for a reasonable run. But one of the things that I've always been able to take away from a run and, and it's, it's actually helped my confidence and helped me stay less stressed out when I have a bad training set is, you know, if I have a bad kettlebell set and then the next day I go out and I run, you know, a, you know, what is my fast pace? 
and I feel strong at it. Basically, I just kind of write that train that training set off and go, you know what? That's just a bad day because conditioning is there. It's this, it's this, you know, everything is there. You just had a bad training session and it's been, it's allowed me to forget about bad sets. Um, whereas before it was like a bad set was like, it was there on my mind until the next time I had a good set. And sometimes, you know, whatever happens and maybe you don't lift for a week again because you got traveling, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, all you have in your mind is, wow, that last set was terrible. But for me now, it's like, as long as I get a good, strong run in, I just kind of write it off and go, you know what? I'm confident. My conditioning is there. It's just a bad day. I didn't warm up right. You know, whatever it was. So that's been another, uh, another reason why I like the runs. It helps me mentally too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's so many avenues that you can exercise your, um, athletic ability and, I think maybe sometimes we might get trapped into thinking all the time that, you know, you're only as good as your last set. But yeah. when it comes to um, athletic preparation, I mean, we always have to take into account those other variables like, you know, what shape is your central nervous system in? Uh, yeah. You know, have you had that adequate recovery? Is that mm -hmm. why maybe you're not performing well today? Because you are going to have those off days and on days. And when we think in terms of consistency, it it can't really just be, you know, day after day after day after day consistency. We might need to take that broader look and look, okay, what, how's my, you know, a consistency and progress from week to week? Because we are, we do have to expect those, those, those good days and those bad days. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.